0: often skipped by people because they uh, don't, don't feel like it's something that should be preached through or read, Lord, but we know that the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And Lord, I ask that you would help us as we look at this passage tonight, uh, help us to say the things that need to be said, and to just be able to look at the passage and learn something from it. In your precious name I pray, amen. Alright, well we're there in Genesis chapter number 38, and we've been preaching through the life of, of Joseph, Well, really we only got one chapter into the life of Joseph, and uh, already we kind of uh, deviated from it in, in chapter 38, and God does that for, you know, what reason, I don't know why, but it seems as if uh, we start the life of Joseph in chapter 37, chapter 38 deals with Judah... And then in 39, we get back into the life of Joseph and we stick with the life of Joseph for the rest of the, the uh, Genesis. But God kind of gives us a break from the life of Joseph and um, tells us this story here about Judah. It's a very important story and you'll see that it, as we go through the sermon. But, um, you know, I believe maybe one of the reasons that God puts this... Right before, uh, right in the midst of the stories of Joseph is because God is really allowing us to see a contrast of Joseph's life and his character and integrity and righteousness versus his brothers who are not doing so well. And that's a very interesting passage here and um, let's go ahead and just jump into it and we'll see a few things. I'd like you to see that at the beginning here we get an introduction to the characters in the story. The first six verses serve as an introduction to the characters of the story. The Bible says, And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren. So I want you to see that he, he left his brethren where they were all living. And turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, Hira is mentioned uh, three times in this passage, and uh, Hira is Judah's friend. And in verse 1, we're introduced to him as uh, Judah turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Look at verse 2. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her. Now we are introduced to Shua. Shua becomes Judah's wife. So we found in verse 1, Hira, Judah's friend. In verse 2, Shua, Judah's wife. Look at verse 3. And she, talking about Shua, conceived and bare a son. And he called his name Ur. So here we're introduced to uh, Judah's firstborn son, Ur. Look at verse 4. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she called his name Onan. That's Judah's second son. Verse 5. And she yet again conceived and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at Shazib when she bare him. So there we meet Shelah, Judah's third son. Look at verse number 6. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar, And there we get introduced to the sixth character in this uh, story here. And that's Tamar, uh, Judah's daughter-in-law, who he chose to be married to his firstborn son, Ur. So we've got Hira in verse 1, who's Judah's friend. Shua in verse 2, who's Judah's wife. Ur in verse 3, who's Judah's firstborn son. Onan in verse 4, who's Judah's secondborn son. Shelah in verse 5, who's Judah's thirdborn son. And Tamar in verse 6, who's Judah's daughter-in-law. We find those characters there. And these are the people that we're going to be talking about in the, as we go through the events that happen in chapter number 38. And I'd like you to look down in verse number 7, and we'll get into uh, a little bit of the story here. I'd like you to see number 1, Judah's sons. Judah's son. The Bible says, and Ur, that's Judah's firstborn son. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked. I want you to see this. Wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So God doesn't necessarily tell us what he did or what was so bad about him, but God said he was so wicked that God just killed him, slew him. Now this man was a married man. Obviously, we read that Judah had taken a wife for his son named Tamar. But this man was so wicked that God killed him. Look at verse eight. And Judah said unto Onan, then this is his second born son, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. Now you gotta understand, in these Bible times, what these people would do is this if you were see, it was very important for them to have children. The way you, you know, uh, kept your family lineage and your family name, it was through your children. And what happened was that Ur took a wife, but never had a child with the wife before God killed him. So what was supposed to be done by tradition there was that the uh, brother, the next eldest brother, was supposed to take that wife, marry her, and have children with her. But those children were not going to take the name of that uh, of that father. They were going to take the name of of the firstborn son. Does that make sense? So we're going to take the name, of the son, that never had a chance, to have children, so his name could continue on, in 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 the nation there. Does that, Do you understand what I'm saying? So, in verse 8 there, Judah said unto Onan, go on unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed." so he's saying, have children, uh, uh, Raise up seed to thy brother. So, he, you know, so, so if he married Tamar and he had children with Tamar, those children would be considered the children of Ur. And they would continue on the legacy of Ur because that was the job that a brother was supposed to do in order, you know, uh, or a close family member, if someone died without having children, to be able to continue their lineage and their name. Look at verse 9. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. So, Onan understands that if he goes in and, ha- and has a child with this woman, these children are not going to be considered his children. They're not going to continue his name. They're not going to continue his lineage. And he decided he did not want to have children with this woman. But here's the reason he didn't want to have children. Because the seed should not be his. Now, isn't that a selfish reason to not have, want to have a child with her? The reason he didn't want to have a child... Is because he said, these kids aren't going to be considered my children. They're, they're not going to have my name. They're, they're, I'm going to raise up children to my brother. And he chose a selfish reason to not have children. But listen, every person, and this is going to maybe come out a little strong at first, but you just understand what I'm saying. Every couple, married couple, that chooses to not have children, it's always for a selfish reason. Always. You say, what are you talking about? Well, here's what you got to... Let's, let's keep reading a little bit and I'll, I'll bring it all together. Bible says, And knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife... Now, notice, notice what happens. He doesn't want children with her. Right? Because he says, it's, it's for a selfish reason. But instead of saying, Look, Dad, I don't want to give her children. For my own selfish reasons, my own selfish whatever, I don't want to have kids. Don't you think the proper thing would have said, "I'm not going to marry her. I'm not going to go." But here's what here's what he did. He he went he went and had the physical relationship, but he didn't want the children. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible says, "And Noah knew that the seed should not be his." And it came to pass, he went in unto his brother's wife. So he had the physical relationship, that he spilled it on the ground. So he went in had the physical relationship partook of the pleasure but did not want the responsibility and the Bible says he spilled it on the ground obviously I'm not going to go into details if you're an adult you understand what that's talking about and it says lest he should give seed to his brothers so I want you to see here we have an example of a young man who wants to have a physical relationship wants to have the pleasure uh, that comes with that physical relationship but does not want to have the responsibility of having a child for a selfish reason and let me tell you we, we can we can play out this scenario all over America today because the average Unmarried person, married person, whatever, wants to be able to have a physical relationship, wants to be able to go out and just sleep around with whatever woman, whatever man, whatever girl, whatever boy they're dating, but doesn't want to take on the responsibility of fathering people, of fathering children. And that's wrong. Did you know that the Bible, that God wants us to reproduce and to have children? If you're there in Genesis 38, go back with me to Genesis chapter 1, let me show you some verses. In Genesis chapter number 1, look at verse number 27. In Genesis chapter number 1, look at verse number 27. The Bible says this, Genesis 1.27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, and the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Do you notice there? That one of the first commandments that God gives mankind is this. Be fruitful and multiply. But today, our society has brainwashed us to believe that, you know, you shouldn't have a lot of children. Because of the, you know global footprint that you're gonna leave on the earth because you know who's ever heard this and I don't have the kids in public who probably heard this a lot the world is overpopulated the world there's too many human beings human beings are a cancer on this on this world and we got to limit you know China you're only allowed to have one or two children you know and, and today we've been taught and people have been taught that you know don't have a lot of children you know just have one child just have two children and they're a burden and they're a, 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 a too many, there's too many humans, we're a cancer, we can't do it. But notice God said to them, hey, be fruitful and multiply. And, and you say, well, that's just a commandment for Adam and Eve. Well, here's where you're wrong, because notice he says, be fruitful and multiply, and look what he says, and replenish the earth. You know what that tells us? That's a commandment for all of us. Because if he was just talking to Adam and Eve, he would have said, you know, replenish the earth. Fill the earth. But replenish means fill it and then fill it again. And then fill it again. So see, he wasn't just saying to Adam and Eve, you know, uh, you know make sure you have a lot of children because we've got to fill up the earth. He was really telling every generation, hey, I want you to have children. I want you to have kids. I want you to replenish. I want you to replenish. I want you to replenish the earth. It's a commandment from God. Go with me to Psalm 127. Let me show you another verse. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And look, this this idea what I'm preaching right now is so foreign to most Americans. Psalm 127, look at verse number 3. Psalm 127, look at verse number 3. The Bible says, "Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward." You know what God says when the Bible, God says, "If I give you a child, you should consider that a reward." You should consider that a heritage. You should consider that a gift. That's a blessing. See, the thing people talk about children. Oh, they're such a burden. Oh, it's so hard to have. It's so hard to raise them. God says, look, I want you to have children. Notice what He says. Verse 3 is talking about children, right? Lo, children are answered to the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Look at verse 4. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Do you see that? He makes this analogy, and He says, look, children... Are like arrows in the hand of a mighty man, and, and he gives this analogy about a, a, a you know you think of a of a of a soldier at that time who maybe had a bow and arrow, and he's saying those children there are like arrows for that for that mighty man. Look at verse five. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. You see that. So he's saying, look, if you're a soldier, you're out in battle, you're fighting a, a battle, you know what's going to make you happy? If you look over on your quiver, because quiver's where they kept their arrows, you know, the holster where they kept their arrows, he says, you know what's going to make you happy? If you look over and you see your quiver there and you're full of arrows. Because you're going to be able to use those arrows. And he says, you know, you don't want to find yourself in the middle of a battle and just have an arrow. One arrow. Or two. He says, Look, happy is a man. He says, children are as arrow, you know, as arrows. In the hand of a mighty man, so are children in the uh, of the youth. Happy is a man that has a quiver full of them. Say, well, how many children does God want me to have? A quiver full, as many as you can get, all of them they shall not be ashamed but they shall speak with the enemies the game. and you know what the idea that God is saying here he's saying kids are an arrow they are a weapon to be used you say what are you talking about look my, when you have kids you and sometimes we parent you know I preach a sermon called purposeful parenting and I, I'm afraid that a lot of times we as parents you know don't have a vision don't have a purpose for our children we kind of just feel like okay God gave me kids I I, I just got to feed it I got to make sure uh, if diapers change I put it in front of the television as long as it leave me alone as long as possible, and as soon as it's 18, it can go out of the house, and I'm good to go. Look, God said, your children ought to be an arrow. You know, you take an arrow, and in order to be able to use it, you've got to aim it somewhere, and you've got to have a plan, you've got to have a purpose, and you're going to try to accomplish something with it. If you're in a battle, you want to kill somebody. If you're hunting, you want to catch something. And what God is saying is this, we ought to look at our children, and we ought to look at them like arrows in the hands of a mighty man, and say, hey, I'm going to And I'm going to use it. I'm going to aim it somewhere. And I'm going to have a vision. And I'm going to have a purpose. And I'm going to have a goal. And I'm going to make sure it hits that target. Look, when I'm raising my kids, I've got a, I, I've got a vision for those kids. I want them to grow up and live for God. And live righteously. And preach God's word. And be soul winners. And love the Lord. So, so you know, because I have that goal, I'm trying to raise them. My wife and I are trying to raise them and nurture and minister in the Lord. So we take time to... Read the Bible to our four and two-year-old. I know he's not two yet. He'll be two in a few weeks. Because I know one of you ladies are going to come up. You know his birthday is not until September 18th. I know. You know my kid's birthday's better than I do. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm a man. But, uh, yeah, I'm just joking. But, you know, we've got a goal. So we read the Bible to them. So we pray with them. So we make sure they're in church. So we teach them about the Word of God. We, because why? Because as an arrow, as you aim it, you've got a purpose. You've got a goal. And you're going to accomplish something. And that ought to be our goal with our children. But here's the thing. You say, well, how many kids do you think I should have? A quiver full. You said, hey, the more you got, the better. The more you have, the better chance you got to accomplish something. To do something. Go back to Genesis 38. See, we, we've grown up in a society where even Christians, Christians will say this, I'm going to pray for the will of God uh, for a spouse. And I'm going to pray for the will of God uh, for where He wants me to live. And I'm going to pray for the will of God of what church He wants me to go to. And I'm going to pray for the will of God of what job He wants me to do. I'm going to pray for the will of God for everything in your life. But then then we'll ask you, well, how many children would you like to have? Oh, well, I think I'd like to have two. Well, wait a minute. Why don't you ask God how many children He'd like you to have? See, we we let God decide when we're comfortable with Him deciding. But see, if you ask God, see, see here's the thing, because the average Christian knows if they went to God and say, God, how many children would you like me to have? He's going to respond back, be fruitful and multiply. God, God how many do you want me to have? A quiver full. As many as you can. And that's the thing. But see, here's the but see, we've raised a, a bunch of onens that want to have the physical relationship, but don't want to take on the responsibility. See, God's okay with you having the physical relationship. He wants you to have the physical relationship with your spouse, raising children for the glory of God. But today, the average teenager is sexually active. They're not ready to raise children. They're not ready to take an arrow and aim it somewhere and produce something with it. They're not, they're, but, and then they go to public school and they put them on birth control. And they put them on contraceptives. And they put them on, well, well you know, instead of teaching them to be abstinent and to, to you know, remain a virgin until they get married, till they're ready to have that child, and they just say, well, go ahead and have the fun, just, you know, just make sure you do it safely. Well, look, that's wrong. And here we have a young man who did not want to have a child for a selfish reason. And by the way, every reason. Ask, ask any young couple. If somebody ever tells you, you know, if you ever see a young couple who just got married, asking, "Oh, what? Uh, Do you guys want to have kids?" And you, the average couple is going to say, "This. Well, we're waiting. You know, and you know, we're going to wait a little while. Well, well why, why are you waiting? I mean, think about the reasons. Every reason that someone gives for not wanting to have a child is a selfish reason. Uh, we're trying to get to we get to, we're trying to wait till we get financially safe. Well, we, we want to wait till we buy a house. I got people tell me, "Well, you know, I, I want to buy an RV and, and a motorcycle and a boat. I want to make sure I got all my toys before I really you know start doing that." Oh, 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 we want to travel. You know, every reason you can think of of why not to have a child is a selfish reason. Because look, having children—sometimes it can be work, sometimes it can be frustrating. But God says He wants us to have children. And look, let me tell you something: the Muslims are having children, fastest-growing religion in the world. Mormons are having children. You think the Mormons are is a a growing uh, religion? You think Mormons are converting people at their doors? I'm telling you, they're not. You know how that church is growing? Children. They're having children. And look, we ought, to, we, ought to, you know, we ought to get back to Christianity. You know that there was a day in this country when the average household had 7 to 10 children in it? It was normal. But remember what we were talking about this morning? There's a systematic attack on the family. There's an attack on the family unit. Because look, strong families produce strong individuals. Strong individuals and strong families produce strong churches. Produce strong nations. And the last thing that the devil wants is strong churches and strong nations. So how do you destroy the church? How do you destroy the nation? By destroying the family. And if we could just keep... well, I, I just want one kid. Because I want to be able to spoil it. Look, you know, why don't you let God decide how many kids you want? And only knew... That the seed should not be his, and it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give seed unto his brother. And look at verse number 10. You say, well, how does God feel about it? And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Isn't that amazing? And as soon as he did it, God just killed him. And look, we, we ought to have this mentality to just let God give us as many kids as we want. Get off the birth control pill and off all those things. If you're, you know, if you're married, you say, well, what if I'm not married? Then don't be having a physical relationship. Period. Oh, what about safe sex? No. That's not what the Bible says. God says He wants you to have children in the area of being married. So we see there Judah's son. Look, at, look down at verse number 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house... Till Sheila, my son, be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So we see there that she was married to the firstborn, he died because he was so wicked. Married to the secondborn, God killed him because he was so upset at what he did. And then the thirdborn is still young, Sheila, still a young man. So Judah says, Look, just remain a widow, and when he's old enough to be married, I'll have him, you know. He'll marry you and he'll provide a seed for you. He'll, he'll provide children for you. He'll be your husband. So Tamar says, okay. She goes off and she's a widow. Look at verse number 12. We, we talked number one about Judah's sons. Now let's talk about Judah's sin. Look at verse 12. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shears to Timnah and his friend Hira the Adulamite. So I want you to see that Judah's wife dies and he's going hanging out with his friend Hira. Verse 13. And it was told Tamar saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And I want you to just notice this. Verse 14. And she put her widow's garments off from her. Okay? So there was a certain clothing that a widow wore. A certain way a widow dressed. And she took those clothes off and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is, by the way, to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot Okay, let's look at it, you know, don't miss this. He thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face. So here's, here's what happened. Tamar takes off the clothes of a widow, puts on different clothes, and based on how she's dressed, Judah sees her and says, Oh, there's a harlot. Isn't that amazing? Oh, there's a prostitute. Because of how she was dressed. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah 47. But you know what? It's no different than today. Today we have a problem where we've taught young girls to dress a certain way. And everything goes, oh, it's okay, it's fine, you know, no big deal. And it's not right. You say, what am I talking about? Go to, go to Isaiah 47. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 47, 1, the Bible says this. Isaiah, Isaiah is the first major prophet there, big prophetic book. Isaiah chapter number 47, verse 1, the Bible says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Notice he's talking, and he's talking about a city, but he's using an illustration as if she was a young girl. And he says, hey, you're a virgin. And, he's, and he says, you're delicate, you're tender, but he says, you won't, you, you're going to stop being called delicate and tender. Here's, here's how, look at verse 2. Take the millstone, and grind meal, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. And notice what God calls that. He says, she uncovered her thigh. And look at what God calls that in verse 3. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. And thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. Do you see that? So according to the Bible... When you uncover the thigh, God says you uncovered your nakedness. And today we teach these young girls that it's okay for them to walk around in their little short shorts or in their little mini skirts and to show off their legs and show off their thighs. And I'm here to tell you something. There is a reason why a young man will pass by and you'll think, oh, there's a loose girl. Oh, there's a harlot. Oh, there's a prostitute. Why? Because she's dressed. And girls say, well, I'm not a prostitute. I don't dress. You know, I'm not like that. Well, look. Hey, you know the old saying, if it's not for sale, put the sign up. You know? But we teach young girls, it's okay. Put on the miniskirt. Put on the short shorts. Put on the, the tight clothing and the low clothing. And go ahead and show off your figure. And God's saying, you're just looking like a prostitute. And here's the sad part. The average girl doesn't even understand that today. You tell the average girl, hey, let's go to church. And, you know, you got to dress up nice for church. And they think dress up, they think nightclub. I mean, that's what this young lady was doing, Tamar. She took off her, gar- her widow's garments, and she put on different clothing. Why? Because she wanted to be identified as a harlot. And I know people don't like that type of preaching in America today, but it's the truth. It's the Bible. Go with me to 1 Timothy, chapter number 2, in the New Testament. 1 Timothy, chapter number 2. You say, why are you preaching that tonight? Well, because we're preaching through the book of Genesis, and chapter 38 comes after chapter 37. And you know it's just part of the Bible. First Timothy chapter number two, look at verse nine. First Timothy chapter number two, look at verse nine. Look at what the Bible says. First Timothy two nine. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in. Look what it says. Modest apparel. You know what the word modest means? It, it means non-flashy. It means women, the Bible is saying women should adorn themselves in a modest way. Look, we're not saying look like a bad woman or look like some sort of a homeless woman. I mean, it's fine. Dress up, look nice, say that's okay with, that, that's fine. But it ought to be modest. It ought to be, you know, it, it not, it, you ought not to be dressed in a way where you walk into church and everybody's attention is on you and how you're dressed. You know, and by the way, this is goes with with uh, with men too. There's a reason why I don't get up to preach here like the average pastor does, with some sort of a red pinstripe, you know, feathered suit on, and you know, red alligator. You know, we, we ought to. You know, church is about the Lord Jesus Christ, and our clothing ought not bring attention to us. It ought to be. All about Jesus Christ. And God says to these women here, He says, uh, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, that's talking about being humble, shame, with sobriety, that's talking about being sober, being serious, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Just really, look, I'm not against you having a nice ring, whatever. That's fine. But look, it ought not be that you're dressed so flashy that it's bringing attention away from you and onto your clothes or your body. Look at verse 10. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. You know how you ought to dress? Where, where people will look at you and say, man, that is a woman who is godly. That is a woman, you know, and that's, and, and, you know, it ought to be, you ought to dress nice. I'm all for women dressing nice, but it ought to be modest, non-flashy. Hey, it ought to cover your thigh, because we saw in Isaiah that if you uncover your thigh, you're showing your nakedness. I know in America today, uncovering your thigh is not nakedness, but according to God, uncovering your thigh is nakedness. So you ought to, you know, you ladies, you ought to wear at least knee-length skirts. Or skirts that go, you know, down to your ankle or whatever. And by the way, knee-length skirt, you know, it ought to honestly be below your knee. Because here's what happens with a knee-length skirt. A, a, a young girl will hear preaching like this. Well, I'm fine. If I have to wear knee-length. I'm going to wear it right to the knee. Well, here's the problem when you wear the skirt right to your knee. Is as soon as you sit down, whoop, that skirt, and now you're covering your thigh. <laughs> that's the truth. I know it's funny or whatever, but hey, that's the truth. Or these young or these women will, will wear uh, Nina, you know, they wear the skirt and then the whole time they're walking they're just ah, it, ah, Look, if you're if you're gonna do this all the time, just just get get a longer skirt. You know? When you look, i let me just break it down to you. When you're forty-seven and you're trying to fit into your you know, 17-year-old skirt, it's just it's just not gonna work, you know? It's just it's normal, you know, it's fine. We all understand, it's it's normal life. But that will be modest, that'll be nice. Go with me to first Peter. 1 Peter, chapter number 3. 1 Peter, chapter number 3. 1 Peter, chapter number 3. And you say, well, pastor, I didn't know that. Well, look, I'm not, I, it doesn't, it's fine if you didn't know it, but you know it now. First Peter, chapter number 3, look at verse number 1. And look, you know, church is not about just showing off your clothes. You don't don't feel like you got to leave here and go buy a whole new wardrobe. You know, it's just about being modest. It's about dressing nice, looking nice. Look at verse, uh, 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear... "...whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair, and of wearing of gold, and of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a..." Here, here's, here, here's the key word for you ladies. This is how your life, according to the Bible, you said you want to be a godly young lady, a godly lady? This is what, how your life ought to be described. "...the an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit." which is in the sight of God a great, of great price. God says about ladies, I don't want you to be a loud mouth, I don't want you to be... You know, and obviously we're not saying, you know, I'm in church, I can't talk anymore. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being portrayed with a meek, with grace, with a spirit that is, that is, that is modest, that is humble. And look, this type of preaching is not preached in America anymore. Uh, go back with me to Genesis chapter number 38. And obviously, we don't have any rules at our church. You can, you know, do whatever you want. We'll still love you. We still care about you. But I'm going to preach the Bible. And you know, we got to get back to this place where we teach these young kids that, look, you ought to dress modestly. You ought to dress nice. You ought not be putting your body out there for sale. You ought to have, have some respect for yourself. I mean, good night. You know, don't just go out there looking like some sort of a, you know, prostitute or a harlot. Hey, dress nice. Yes, dress dress nice, but... You know, there's a difference. She and I, and I think it's so interesting that That she... Tamar had a certain way she dressed. But when she wanted to act like a harlot, she, she put on a different outfit. And you know, we, we ought not have different... You know, women ought not have different outfits. Well, this is for church, and this is for the nightclub, and this is... No, it ought not be like that. Like, you ought to just be the same everywhere. Just meek and quiet spirit. Look at verse 14. And she put her... Uh, Genesis thirty-eight, and she put her widow's garment off from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way of Timnah, for she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be in harlot, because she had covered her face. And look, it, you know, you you know that's true. You go out in these ghettos, you, see, you know, you see some of these people the way they dress, you think yourself that's that's. That's a prostitute. How, how do you know that? Well, because the way they dress. That's how you know it. Verse fifteen. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face, and he turned unto her by the way and said, "Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee." For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. So he didn't know that it was Tamar. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet, and thy bracelet, and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away and laid by her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhoods. You notice there again, different clothing. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. And he asked the men of the place, saying, Where is the harlot that was openly by this wayside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, Let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I send this kid, and thou hast not found her. So understand what's going on. He says, Hey, what's your price? She, you're, you're, let's do, let, you know, let me... Go in unto you. And she's like, well, what are you going to give me? He says, I'll give you a, a, you know, I'm going to send you a kid of the flock. And she said, well, can you give me a pledge to make sure you're going to come back? So he gives her these things that belong to him. A signet, a bracelet, and a staff. All those things represented Judah. So he says, look, here, take my signet. Referring to like maybe some sort of a ring that would have like his... Like the, the, uh, the idea there is like a signature something that represents you you know in those days maybe they would send a letter and they would take the wax from like a candle or something and they would have a ring that they would stamp into that and that would be their sign or their signature so he gave her, her his, the signet which represented who he was he gave her his bracelet he gave her his staff represented his, his position, his job and he said, look, I'm going to give you these things, and this, this is like a down payment, this will make sure that I come back, and I give you the, the, the kid that I promised. So after they did their thing, he sends his friend, and his friend, you know, with, with the kid, and his friend can't find this prostitute. And he goes to the people, and he says, you know, there was a harlot over here, you know, what happened? And the people are like, we don't, we've never seen a harlot there. Because obviously, there wasn't a harlot there all the time, it was just Tamar trying to trick her father-in-law. And he goes back to Judah and he says, I can't find her. He said, well, oh well, I guess so. Look at verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after, so three months come and go, that it was told Judah saying, Tamar thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot. So are like, hey, Tamar's been a prostitute. And also behold, she is with child by whoredom. And look at this is so, this amazes me, but it, it you know it doesn't it doesn't amaze me. The sad part is. The Bible says, And Judah said, Bring for, bring her forth and let her be burned. So they're like, Hey, Judah. Tamar has been playing the part of a harlot. And she's with child by Horedom, and he says, Bring her forth, let her be burned. Go with me to Matthew chapter number seven. Look at verse two. Matthew chapter number 7. Verse 2. Look at what it says. Matthew 7, 2. So let's read verse 1. Matthew chapter number 7. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Do you see that? Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. You know, the Bible is teaching us there that we ought to treat people the way we want to be treated. And we ought to show mercy the way... And it's amazing, I mean, I'm guilty of this. We want someone to forgive us, but we're not willing to forgive them. Forgive someone else. Someone hurts you, someone says something mean to you, and then you turn around and you say something mean to someone else. You hurt somebody else. And that's how we are as human beings. But Judah, he partook of a harlot... And then he finds out Tamar's a harlot, and he says, bring her forth, let her be burned. You know, it kind of, it reminds me a little bit of David, go with me to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel, chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. And if you remember the story of David there, that he had committed adultery with the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men there, a soldier. And David committed adultery with his wife while Uriah the Hittite was out fighting a battle for David. And David tried to cover it up, but because Uriah had such character, he wasn't able to cover up the sin, so he had Uriah killed. And in verse number 1 of chapter number 12, we find God bringing back to David... His sin. And look at what it says. And the Lord sent Nathan. Nathan was the prophet there. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him. So Nathan begins to tell David a story. There were two men in one city. The one rich and the other poor. The rich man had his sitting many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. Which he had brought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat at his own... Of his own meat, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but he took of the poor man's lamb, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel... I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house." Because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of thy son. And you know what's interesting there is, Nathan gives David a story. And he says, this guy had a lot of lambs, this guy had one lamb that he loved. And when this guy needed to kill a lamb for his friend, instead of taking all the lambs he had, he took this one lamb. And what Nathan was trying to show him there is that, hey David, you could have anybody you wanted. You were the king of Israel. You had multiple wives. This man had one wife. And you could have anybody you wanted, but he took his wife. And the Bible says that David's anger was kindled, and he said he will surely die, he will pay fourfold, and then Nathan says, "Thou art the man. And you know, we, ought, we better be very, very careful when we decree judgment on someone. Because that same measurement, that same judgment might be decreed upon us. You know, that's why sometimes it's better for us to just show mercy, show patience, show love. You know, let me, let me say this. As a, as a church family, it ought not be our desire to hurt people. Well, we ought to be very careful. Sometimes it's so easy to say things. You know, the slip of the tongue. We say things and we don't really understand that the words that we say could hurt somebody's feelings. You know, we have no problem understanding when someone hurts our feelings. But then we run our mouth and hurt everybody else's feelings. You see what I'm saying? We ought to be conscious of other people's uh, you know feelings and how they how they react. You know, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their life you know and as a pastor I've learned one of the biggest things you learn as a pastor is just to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> people people offend you, people say the worst things they don't even realize they're being rude to you. And you just think to yourself, okay. And and but really that's how we are because that's how Jesus was. When they were buffeting him, when they were crucifying, he kept his mouth closed. He could have cursed back. He could have, and nobody would have said anything. Nobody would have thought, oh, you were way out of line to yell at those people when they were beating you to death. Everybody would have understood. But he just kept his mouth shut. And just, he tried to do right. Just try to do what he was supposed to do. Go to Genesis 38, look at verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burned. And when she, brought, when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet, and the bracelet, and the staff? Isn't that an amazing story? She would say, Hey, look, let me tell you, let me tell you who who I'm in child with. She said, Can, can you discern? Can you tell me who these belong to? Because the man who these belong to, that's that's the person that I'm a child, that I have a child from. You know, and that was Judah's signet, his bracelet, his staff. Look at his reaction, verse twenty six. And Judah acknowledged them and said, She had been more righteous than I. Because that I gave her not to Sheila my son, and he knew her. Again, no more. Let me show you one verse in regards to this. Go over to Numbers, chapter number thirty-two. You're there in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers, chapter number thirty-two, and look at verse number twenty-three. Numbers, chapter number thirty-two, and look at verse number twenty-three. We don't like this verse, but it's a true verse. The Bible says in Numbers thirty-two twenty-three. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. And that's what Judah was experiencing right there. His sin had found him out. Nathan's sin had found him out. And you know, God doesn't really let us get away with much. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And I'm telling you, that is the truth. Look at verse number 27. Well, we, we saw number one, Judah's son. We saw number two, Judah's sin. Number three, let me just share with you a little bit about Judah's seed. If you look down at verse number 27, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. Now this is, keep in mind, this is Tamar's children that she had with Judah. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand. So she has twins, and one is coming out, and he puts out his hand. And the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, this came out first. So the midwife wanted to make sure that they knew which one came out first, which one was the firstborn, because that was very important back then. So as this baby's coming out, he puts out his hand, and the midwife just real quickly ties a scarlet thread and says, this one came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out, and she said, how has thou broken forth this breach free upon thee? Therefore his name was called Ferris. So understand this. Two children, twins. One's coming out. As he's coming out, they put a scarlet thread on his hands. But then the other child reaches in, and grabs that baby out, and he comes out first. He's the first one. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? That must have been a painful birth. You know, I mean, already just having a child come out hands first is already, you know, normally they're supposed to come out head first. I mean, this was, these kids were like uh, breached and all crazy things. But see, there's a, there's a beautiful picture here that you got to understand because go to Isaiah chapter number 1 Isaiah you should be able to find it now it's a major book and prophets there Isaiah chapter number 1 see in the Old Testament back in those days God said that the firstborn belonged to God God wanted the first of everything he wanted to tithe 10% of your, your first. When you make anything, you grew, you know, you had uh, cattle, you grew corn, whatever it was. The first 10% went to God. And when you had children, God said, that first child belongs to me. But see, God is not a pagan God. He does not want a human sacrifice. So this is what God was saying. Your firstborn child belongs to me. But what you're going to do because I don't want you to kill your son or sacrifice your son on an altar you're going to redeem that child. So what they would do is that they would take a lamb or a bullock or something and they would sacrifice that child, that that lamb or that animal in the place of that firstborn child because that firstborn child belonged to God. But they were they instead of sacrificing their son, they were taking that animal, and they were sacrificing in the place of their son, and that was, in and of itself, a picture of Jesus Christ. We were supposed to be sacrificed in hell, but Jesus Christ, the lamb, took our place, and that was the redemption process, do you understand that? That was a picture of Jesus Christ. Well, in this story here, the firstborn son reached out his hand, and, and don't miss this, they tied around his hand a scarlet thread. Now look, a scarlet thread means something in the Bible. You're in Isaiah chapter number 1, look at verse number 18. Isaiah 118, the Bible says this. Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Notice what God says. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white. Scarlet, in the Bible, that picture represents the blood of Jesus Christ and the sin that had to be paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you remember in in, uh, the the story there of of the walls of Jericho in Joshua chapter number 2 where Rahab the harlot, she had to let down what? A scarlet thread. In order for them to know, you know, everyone in that house is not going to be judged. And that was the picture of Jesus Christ. Two, because the judgment of God was coming upon the city... But everybody who was in that tower that was that had that red scarlet thread, they knew if they're in that house, don't kill them. Judgment was coming upon that city. But if you were in the house that was covered by the scarlet thread, you were safe from the judgment. And that was a picture of Jesus Christ. Because one day the judgment upon this world will come. But if you're in Jesus Christ, if you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, hey, God says I will not judge you, I will not punish you, I will not send you to destruction. All that's a picture of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? And as they put the scarlet thread on this firstborn son, they were representing, this son is a sinner. This son has sin. But then, here's, what the, here's the beautiful thing. The secondborn son reached in, drew him out, and took his place. A picture of Jesus Christ. Just like you were covered, with us there Isaiah 1:18: Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that firstborn son, as they put the scarlet thread upon his hand, that represents that he was a sinner. He needed to be redeemed. He, he, you know, he, he needed someone to take his place. And then that secondborn son drew them back in and came out and he took his place just like Jesus Christ took our place. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 1. Keep your, keep your finger there. Go, I want you to do this. Go to Genesis 38. Keep your finger in Genesis 38 and go with me to Matthew chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 38 and go to Matthew chapter number 1. Judah's son, his sons were these two young men. And by the way, did you notice this? God killed two of Judah's sons, Ur and Onan, but then God gave him two other sons. You know, he replenished the kids he had taken. But look what it says. Look at Genesis 38, 29. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand... That behold, his brother came out, and she said, How hast thou broken forth this breach be upon me? Therefore his name was called keep make note of his name, Pharise. Pharise. Go to Matthew chapter number one, look at verse number three. Matthew chapter number one, look at verse number three. Matthew chapter number one gives us a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because see, the Messiah had to come from Abraham have to be of the lineage of David, and and they have to be able to prove that. So Matthew 1 gives us a lineage from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. And look at verse number 1, the Bible says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Have you noticed that there's no women mentioned at all? Because in a, in, a, in a male genealogy, only the men were, you know, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas. But look at verse number three. And Judas begat Pheraz and Zerah of Thamar. Or, that's a New Testament spelling for Tamar, who we just read about. And Pheres, that was the son who came out, we just read about, begat Ezra, and Ezrom begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Naason, And Naeson begat Salem. And Salem begat Boaz. Of Rahab. So notice there we have the second woman mentioned in the, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Notice, it's only men. Only certain women are mentioned. Tamar. We just read Genesis 3, eight about her. Rech, Rech, Rechab, who's Rahab the harlot from Joshua chapter number 2 that we were just talking about. The walls of Jericho. When she got, she got saved. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon. Of her that was been widowed with the wife of Uriah. There we find the third wife being mentioned. And who is it? The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Who David committed adultery with. And Solomon begat Rehoboam. And Rehoboam begat Abiah. And Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begat Joram. And Joram begat Uzziah. Uzziah begat Joatham and Joatham begat Achaz and Achaz begat is the and as the begat Manas Manasses and Manasses begat Ammon and Ammon begat Josiah and Josiah begat. Jeconiah, Jeconiahs and his brethren about the time that they were carried to Babylon and after they were brought to Babylon Jeconias begat Salatheel and Salatheel begat Zerubbabel and Zerubbabel begat Abiod, and Abiud begat Eliakim and Eliakim begat Azor and Azor begat Sadak and Sadak begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud and Eliud begat Eleazar. Eliazar and Eleazar begat Nathan, and Nathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. You say, why did you read all that? Did you? I don't know if you got this, but I was, I was reading and studying Genesis 38. This is what I was thinking to myself the whole time. What a mess. I mean, what? Talk about dysfunctional family. One son's so wicked he gets killed, the Bible doesn't even tell us why. The other one does something so vile that God just kills him dead. Tamar pretends to be a prostitute while her father-in-law uses her. And then she gets pregnant. And all these different things, all these mess. But, but I want you to notice one thing. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of Judah. And he was specifically, look at verse 3 of Matthew chapter number 1. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar. And Phares begat Ezra. Did you notice that Jesus Christ the Messiah came as one of the sons that came out of the sin? See, sometimes we think to ourselves, I have made such a mess of my life. I have made so many mistakes. I have hurt so many people. I have done so many sinful and wicked and stupid things. But here's the beautiful thing about God. Is that God can take your sin and still produce something beautiful with it. See, these children were born out of adultery. Not not adultery, but out of prostitution, out of fornication. And you think to yourself... Can Tamar ever be used of God? Can these children ever be used of God? But look, you find both the name of Tamar and her children in the lineage of the Messiah. Because God is a graceful God. And God can use you. And God can take your broken life and your broken pieces and all the mess you've made, and God can take those things and still find a way to use that and still find a way to find that pleasing in His sight. Last place we'll go to, Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse number. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I'm um, looking at Romans 7. Romans 8. Look at verse number 28. Romans eight twenty-eight says this. And we know that all things work together for good. Okay, all things? All things. Even if I have a child out of fornication, all things. Even if a girl pretends to be a prostitute and gets pregnant from her father-in-law, all things. Even sin and wickedness and wrong and horrible things, all things. We know all things work together for good. But here's the catch. To them that love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I have made such a mess of my life. Well, join the club. You say, I, I've, I've made so many mistakes. I've done so much sin. I've done so much wrong. Can God do it? Look, as long as today you love God, as long as today you are called according to His purpose, God says, I can take all things and work them together for good. You know why? Because God is an amazing, forgiving merciful, miraculous God who can take the worst situation, the worst story, the most despicable family, the most, you know, corrupted family, and say, I'm going to bring my Messiah out of your family. Say, why why is, you know, you wonder yourself, why is um, Genesis 38 even mentioned in the Bible? Well, it's mentioned in the Bible because this is where your Messiah came from. And it's a beautiful thing to think that God can use sinners to bring the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And if God can use people like that, don't you think He can use you? Don't you think He can use me? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called, for them who, who are called according to His purpose. All things. But here's the thing. Here's, here's what you've got to ask yourself. Do you love God, and are you called according to His purpose? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Give Heavenly Father,